We're going to continue on in our, um, in our series called My Dear Son. This is a series in which we're just taking a deep dive into the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. In fact, uh, we've been specifically going deeply into 2 Timothy. If you were not here last Sunday, you can always go to our website and download the podcast. I certainly would encourage you to do that. Did anybody, did anybody feel the earthquake yesterday? Come on, let me see your hand. This is participation time. All right, who didn't feel the earthquake yesterday? So fascinating. What were y'all doing? It was one of those things where the house kind of shook a little bit, and I heard some noise, but I kind of thought it was my imagination. You ever do that? Um, yeah, like 2022, right? Who had earthquake on their life bingo card? Anybody? Like floods, electricity going out. Those are on everybody's bingo card, but hello? Not, who had earthquake? None of us had earthquake, right? Or at least I didn't have earthquake, but life, life 2022, the world we live in is unpredictable, right? Things happen that surprise us. Uh, things happen that throw us for a curve. Things happen that sometimes causes us uh, to be uncertain of our future. Last week, as we began this conversation on Second Timothy, I introduced you to a term called VUCA. How many of you have thought about VUCA this week? How many of you have used VUCA in a sentence or to describe something this week? I'm getting some no's, some people kind of knowingly say, shaking their head yes. Um, when we talk about VUCA, it's just a term that's used in, in business and sort of management and leadership studies. It started really uh, in a book that was written in the early 80s, sort of a response to the economic crisis that happened in the 70s, the Great Recession and all of those things. And the term VUCA really um, is just an interesting term that's now used to help managers and leaders and companies and corporations uh, prepare for a complicated and always evolving world. Last week I told you uh, VUCA stands for volatile, meaning constantly changing, uncertain, meaning nothing is predictable, complex, meaning everything is multi-layered and everything is connected to everything else, and so nothing is simple and straightforward and ambiguous. Everything is paradoxical and contradictory, and it's really hard uh, to know or to nail anything down. Well, I felt like as I read and really began to think deeply about 2 Timothy and knowing this concept from other things in my life, I thought, wow, what, a, what an interesting way to describe exactly the world that Paul was in and the world that Paul was writing from when he, when he wrote this letter to Timothy. On, um, on our on our Instagram, the church Instagram yesterday, uh, we posted a, a video from the Bible Project. How many of you have ever heard of the Bible Project? There's a few of you. I've, I'd encourage you right now, take out your phone if you have it with you, um, and write down the Bible Project or type it into your phone. The Bible Project is a phenomenal tool. There's actually a Bible Project app, and there are a lot of incredible, the way that it works is there's incredible videos that really help us to understand different themes throughout Scripture. But one of the things that it also does is it gives a really cool illustrative way of explaining the background material of, of a book, the setting, the occasion. It's something we talk about often when we preach here at North Place. And so uh, 
If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you go on the Bible Project app or the website, and uh, it's all free. You can go on there. It's like a seven-minute video. You can see sort of the occasion in the background, and it does a wonderful job. And it's something, just a pro tip for those of you parents, it's something that you can use with your kids. It's really visually uh, stimulating and helps to really capsulate different themes in Scripture, but also books of the Bible. Well, the, the Second Timothy was an interesting letter uh, that Paul wrote, or an interesting book of the Bible, because it was a personal letter that Paul wrote to his protege, his spiritual son, Timothy. And it came from a place, really, of, of, um, of Paul's concern for Timothy about the future, his concern for Timothy about um, him as a minister, particularly in his work at the church at Ephesus. And, and Paul was writing to Timothy to encourage him, but he was also writing uh, to Timothy really to um, kind of crystallize for him exactly what it was that Timothy was contending for. But on a personal level, it was also fascinating because we see this shift from Paul's early letters to what what most would agree is his last book, that his last letter that we have. And you see this sort of change in Paul's personality, his writing style. And he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, listen, Timothy, we, uh, we can't get caught up in nonsense. And people are going to hurt us sometimes and bad things are going to happen. And things are not always going to work out the way that we want them to work out. Paul himself was sitting in prison about probably about to be executed and in that place when he probably hadn't fulfilled everything that he wanted to fulfill and his ministry wasn't looking the way uh, that everyone thought his ministry should look. In fact, people were abandoning him, thought he was a failure in ministry. Out of all of that, Paul, with this clarity, writes to Timothy and he says, my dear son, and he encourages him to keep moving forward in this VUCA world. And that's why we're taking a deep dive. One of the things that we learn from 2 Timothy is this. Challenges will make you bitter or they will make you better. How many of you have ever heard that expression before? Challenges will either make you bitter or they'll make you better. They will overwhelm you or they will cause you to have incredible focus. What we see in Paul at sort of the end of his life, the end of his ministry, probably under some of the greatest amount of pressure that uh, he'd ever been under. And here he was, instead of riding and lashing out, um, instead of being a jerk, which sometimes Paul in his writing could be a jerk. Instead of being a jerk, instead of, instead of wanting to fight with all the people who had done him wrong, he acknowledged his hurt and said, Timothy, we just can't let that stuff distract us. We can't let this overwhelm us. We have to keep contending for the gospel. We have to keep serving Jesus. When other people have been faithless to us, we have to be faithful to God. For me, as I read sick of Timothy, I see that. And I think, you know what, Lord, help me when I deal with the pressures of life, when I deal with problems, when I deal with, with people disappointing me and people abandoning me and things not happening the way that I want them to happen, God help me to not get bitter, but to get better. Pressure sort of defines you, doesn't it? 
It's under pressure that we found out, we find out what we're made of. It's under pressure that we really realize who we are. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 3 says, The refining fire is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests hearts. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a real sellable gospel, isn't it? We don't like that. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about the biblical theme that is, that is clearly there and it's repeated over and over again in Scripture that God is at work refining us, that God is in this process of constantly, constantly moving us as his people toward him and toward his image. Scripture teaches us that through the fire of life, through the pressure of circumstances and situations, the impurities of our life are burned out and we become more and more like the people of God. Our, our lives go through a constant refining process. The junk of our life is either burned out or it is burned up. When we read 2 Timothy, it's important that we understand that we read it not from this place of modern Christian triumphalism that says everything that's in the Bible is there to encourage me to be my best self or to achieve my personal wealth and health and prosperity. None of that's actually in the Bible. When we read 2 Timothy, we need to read it through the lens of the people who were living in that century and who were being hung upside down on crosses and who were being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. For a man who was literally imprisoned for doing nothing more than telling the truth, when he wrote to his dear son, he was writing from a place of saying, my dear son, I've lived in the refiner's fire and I can tell you it's worth it. I can tell you the pressure and the pain and the heat is worth it. That this prize that I've won in Christ is far greater than any prize that I can gain in this life. We learned last week that 2 Timothy really uh, explores the, the practical implication of this pressure, this refining process, and what does it look like for Paul to be at the end of that and for Timothy to be in the middle of it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, it says this, and this is where we ended off last week. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, these are the things that Paul's been talking about, the things that disqualify us, the things that cause us to be impure, the things that distract us from the truth and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and living it out. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. In this world that we, that we live in of self-obsession right now and this world that we live in where we, all need, where we all need the like and the check mark and we all need to be made to feel special. In, in this world that says it's all about me, the gospel of Jesus Christ says the way to be special, the way to be set apart, 
The way to really make a difference and an impact is to allow the refiner's fire to do its work in your life and to cause you to be pure. What a contrast. And what's fascinating is that contrast existed in Paul's world just like it exists in ours. A world where people are constantly striving for be, to be recognized, striving to fight for their identity, striving to fight for their rights and their pleasure and their good. And all the while, just as in Paul's day, they strived for those things and could not cause them to happen on their own, we strive for them today. We fight for the attention and affirmation of others and we always come up empty followers go away we get canceled it doesn't last and in the middle of that paul says timothy there's a process whereby god is sanctifying and 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 that's a word that we don't like to use in the church today because it sounds so religious and it sounds so heavy and oppressive but the problem is it's a biblical concept that we have to understand that God is in this process, that our lives is in a process not of moving from victory to victory, not highlight reel to highlight reel, but moving through the rhythm of life for the ups and the downs, and God's in all of it. He's not just in your happy moment, heart emoji, flappy hand, praying hand, wink face, but he's in the tear emoji of time. I'm trying to speak the language of the people, right? I don't know if I'm doing good. Sometimes I message Meredith, what does this emoji mean? <laughs> Sometimes I use the wrong one and somebody has to. Do you know what you? Maturity understands that faith is measured across time in terms of outcomes, not outputs. There is this, is it okay that we dig deep into 2 Timothy? Is it okay that we really learn it? Not just the highlight reels, not just what makes us feel good. Is it okay? Are you with me? There's this really hard theme in 2 Timothy. Maybe it's not hard. It's hard for probably about half of us in this room. It was hard for me uh, during a season of my life. And, And one of the themes in 2 Timothy is this contrast between Maturity and immaturity. Between recognizing what is maturity and and what is immaturity. When I was in my um, early 20s, I started into a master's degree program. And I went to to graduate school to get this master's degree. And I was sitting um, in class. It was one of the first classes that I took in this sort of renowned um, professor was teaching a class. It was a class on leadership, and I remember sitting there, and he got up, and one of the, he was early in his lecture, one of the first things that he said was, a person doesn't even, doesn't even begin to become a leader until they're in their 40s. I was in my early 20s, and really arrogant. And this really world-renowned expert in the area of leadership made this statement, and I didn't hear anything else he said from that point forward because I was so offended by his statement because I am clearly, I thought at that point, God's answer to all the problems in the world, and I have all this passion, and I, I have all 
all of this knowledge and I'm going to solve all the world's problems and I'm going to, no, none of you were ever that way, I understand. I was. And I, so I just, my ears turned off and I mean, I did the assignments, but um, it's embarrassing now at this point in my life that I got so little out of that class because I was so offended by that statement. And what I, what, I, what I didn't understand is that the point he was trying to make, and I was so shallow and so immature and so arrogant that I didn't get it, the point that he was trying to make is that the reality is, whether we like it or not, time, the refiner's fire, has a way of bringing clarity to things that increases your capacity to influence that increases the clarity and the purity with which you do, with which you serve, with which you become who God has called you to be. It doesn't mean that you're incapable of anything when you're 22. It simply means that when you're 42, 62, 82, the process, if you stay in the process, if you stay humble in the process, the process causes there to be greater clarity over time. It's a refiner's fire. That's all. It's the only point he was trying to make. He wasn't trying to insult me as a 22-year-old. In 2 Timothy, Paul is contrasting immaturity and maturity, and he's saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, I, I can see what God has done in your life. And what's so beautiful in 2 Timothy is that Paul takes all of this time to encourage Timothy and to tell him how much, and to affirm him, and to demonstrate the story that God has been building in his life that's bigger than him and longer than him. I mean, all of this affirmation, and he uses it and says, you know, Timothy, become mature. Grow up. Grow up and allow the process to produce its work in you because what I love about the tone of the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy is that it is so different than his early letters when Paul was more impatient, when he was harder on people, when he would go straight after the jugular vein. Here he's willing to let people who've been hurting him, people who've done him wrong, he's willing to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to let that go because it's all a distraction to what really matters. When I was younger, what I didn't understand is that momentary accomplishments may move the ball down the field. It's wonderful. It should absolutely be celebrated, but it is what grows over time and space that defines a thing. It's not when, it's not when we move the ball 10 yards that we stop everything that we're doing and celebrate it as we keep pushing and pushing and pushing. We eventually cross the line. We eventually score the goal. We eventually accomplish what we're there to accomplish. In my immaturity, I think that, that every five yards of progress defines a thing, but what Paul understood is that it's over a lifetime that a thing is defined. Paul was wanting his dear son to follow in his footsteps. He was wanting him to be able to look back at the end of his life and to be able to do so with grace towards those who had wounded him and hurt him. You understand, he wanted him, he wanted Timothy at the end of his life to be able to say, you know what, it's okay, 
they abandoned me, but God is faithful. He wanted Timothy to be able to look back at the end of his life, even if his life wasn't ending with the success that he wanted, and be able to say, I have a clear conscience. He wanted him to be able to move forward in maturity and not get stuck in immaturity. I'm wondering for us as followers of Jesus Christ how much we how much we need to take seriously the words that Paul wrote to 2 Timothy and understand how it applies in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 Paul says, "Do do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed." I asked you last week during your daily 20 to really dig in and read 2 Timothy. I hope that you've done that. And one of the things that I said was notice how many times that Paul refers to shame. Notice the contrast between who should be ashamed and who is not ashamed. The contrast between those who walk in pride and arrogance and those who are walking in humility and yet free from shame. Paul said, I'm not ashamed my conscience is clear he told Timothy I I don't want you to be ashamed of me even though I'm in prison even though things haven't worked out the way that we thought they were going to work out even though the crowd has canceled me and people have abandoned me Timothy there can be no place for shame in your life shame exists because we've surrendered to carnality people in my life have judged my ministry through carnal eyes, not through spiritual eyes. Timothy, don't be ashamed because we've been faithful. Timothy, I don't want you to experience shame. So when you, when you come to the end of your life, I want, I want you, Timothy, to be able to do what, what I've done for you. I want you to do it for others. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 in particular, he goes through this whole This whole conversation about, Timothy, reproduce, reproduce what's been reproduced in you. Write that down. Reproduce what's been reproduced in you. It's one of the themes of 2 Timothy. So as you read 2 Timothy, understand that one of the primary things that Paul is trying to say to Timothy is, look at what God has produced in you. Now maturity is that you reproduce what's been produced in you. See, the problem is we have become so self-obsessed in our own Christianity, there is is no margin for reproducing. We've also become so insecure in our faith because we're still carnal that we, unlike Paul, can say to others, come and follow me as I follow Christ. Most of us, maybe I shouldn't say that, maybe it's unfair, maybe it's too early Paul than late Paul, to say it that way, so I'll be nicer. Many people live their entire Christian life never making a disciple. Can never point to anybody in their life and say, this is my dear son. We challenged you earlier this year And we said that North Place is going to be a disciple-making community. My question for you is, who are the disciples in your life? No, I'm the disciple, Pastor Randy. Yes, you are the disciple, a disciple who makes disciples. So who's your disciple? Who can you point to? 
Who can I point to and say, this is my dear son? Most of us cannot identify an, a, a son or a daughter in the faith because we are so shallow and myopic, meaning me-centered in my own faith that it's always about me and never about others. So there is no margin in my life for producing someone else. Because it's always about me. I'm always in a crisis of faith. So if I'm always in a crisis of faith, how is there any capacity to help someone else in their crisis of faith? If my faith is always about me and my growing and my whatever, then how is there a son? How is there a daughter? If all the milk's for me, it's never for my baby. Man, that's good stuff. So Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, You then, my dear son, write this down because you, you need to go read this later. He says, You then, my dear son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So he transitions out of his early comments in chapter 1 to Timothy and he moves to chapter 2 and he says listen maturity is maturity because it reproduces itself you can tell something is mature because it's reproducing disciples make disciples sons become fathers who have sons women become mothers who have daughters this is the way that it works this is maturity so Timothy if you're not going to be ashamed just as I'm not going to be ashamed when I come to the end if you're not going to be ashamed when you come to the end the reason you're not going to be ashamed is because you're going to have sons who are going to carry on. Timothy, my, my, my dear son, entrust, entrust to others. He breaks it down for him and he, he sort of describes for him how he's going to be able to live without shame, to lead without shame, to come to the end without shame. Really quickly, he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. So two things, number one, you must draw your strength from an intimate relationship with Jesus. Everyone say intimate. An intimate relationship with Jesus. If you're going to last as a Christian, you've got to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It, it's not rocket science, folks. I love that you love North Place Church. I love that you love me. I, I have never, I, I'm, this is the truth, Desert and I were talking about this. I've never felt more loved by people I lead. And this, I hope this doesn't hurt the feelings of other people at other times in my life. But it's the truth. I've never felt more loved than I feel loved by you in this season of ministry. I love that you love us. Thank you for that. But if you're going to get to heaven, you're not going to get there because of me. You're going to get there because you have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what's going to sustain you. You're not going to get to heaven. You're not going to shine like the stars in the heaven. You're not going to fulfill the purposes and calling on your life. You're not going to experience the fullness of the promises of God. None of that stuff is going to come through your apostle. It's not going to come through your teacher. It's not going to come through your pastor. It comes through Jesus. 
It's through an intimate relationship with Jesus, not because you're following my words, because, but because you're following his. Not because you're quoting me, but because you're quoting him. Not because the things that I say have transformed your heart, but because the things he says are written on your heart. That's what's going to cause you and I to be able to not only make it in a VUCA world, but to excel in a VUCA world. To accomplish his purposes in our life in a VUCA world. It all starts with getting our strength from Jesus. Secondly, you must have an incorruptible relationship with the truth. One of the huge themes, and I put it, I put it on my Instagram as bonus material because I, I like had to tell myself, you can't get into this today because you don't have time. One of the huge themes of 2 Timothy is this emerging pseudo-intellectualism that was beginning to capture the attention of the church that was being built at that time. This emerging sense of people who would sit around and talk about God, but not be transformed by God. People who would, oh, I'm gonna get down to where we're living. People who would talk about justice but never allow God's justice to transform them. They were good at telling everybody else about justice, but they lived completely unjust. They were good at telling everybody else about how to love the orphan and how to love the widow, but they didn't even, they didn't even love the other standing next to them. They were hateful and rude and unkind. They were one thing to your face, and they were another thing on Instagram. It wasn't Instagram back then, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the point is they had all the right answers. They had the right words. They were intellectual, but the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to transform them to be more like Jesus wasn't happening. It's one of the major themes in 2 Timothy, a false religion, a false spirituality, a pseudo-intellectualism. It was talking in circles, but never doing anything. And if you, if you know anything about human history, if you know anything about the world we live in today, I'd say it's permeated every area of our life. Please don't be offended, but we have, we have conferences and meetings and global governments who have people filling positions, who talk in great big circles and millions of rands and dollars and pounds are spent for these symposiums where nothing is ever accomplished. But this group of people just sit around and love to hear themselves talk. And the church was beginning to be filled with these people. Out of it, Gnosticism was growing, and all of these things were happening. And Paul was saying, Timothy, listen, here's the deal. If you're going to make it in this VUCA world, you're going to have to have a incorruptible relationship with the truth. You have got to be so grounded in the truth that you can smell nonsense a mile away and run from it. Run from nonsense. Don't even have anything to do with nonsense. Remember, he was writing to him about people on the inside. 
You may say, no, pastor, are we not supposed to engage in forums and conversations? Or No, 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 no. I'm, we're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about people who are fake believers. Fake Christians. Inside the church, but are full of nonsense. Just talk, 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 talk. Endless conference, endless book writing, endless blog post but never amounts to anything. Actually, it's self-feeding is what it is. It's building your platform, stroking your ego. Paul says, listen, the way do we combat that, Timothy, is that we know the truth, that we're committed to the truth. We talked about it last week. We know the simplicity of the gospel. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, and it started in the early church. People were ashamed of the simplicity of the message of Jesus Christ. And so because they wanted to compete in the marketplace, they thought, well, let's just, let's just make this appear to be more complex. Let's add a bunch of words and a bunch of quotations to this. Then we'll seem smart like the Greeks. Then we'll seem smart like the Romans. We'll fit into our world. Academia was emerging at this part of the world and the church to legitimize itself and also to legitimize itself against the history of Judaism and all of the great studying that had been done on, done in that time, it became obsessed with pseudo-intellectualism. And we as the church have continued in that same process and Paul says, listen, Timothy, know the truth. Become obsessed with the truth and have a sniffer that can smell nonsense and avoid it inside the church. Just have nothing to do with those people. Don't create platforms with them. Don't entertain their concepts and their ideas because at the end of the day, they don't actually want to get anywhere or accomplish anything. They just want to sit around and talk and feel important. You and I have to be people who understand that in Christ... In Christ, if we are to become all that God wants us to be, we can't get caught up in the trappings. And Paul says, Timothy, you've got to, you've got to reproduce yourself. And the way that you reproduce yourself in a VUCA world is that, Timothy, you have, you have a passionate relationship with Jesus and you know the truth. And you find other people and you reproduce the same thing in them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2-6 through six says, What? You have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful people. Everyone say faithful. Folks, faithfulness is the test. Giftedness is not the test. Faithfulness is the test. Faithfulness is the test. Giftedness is not the test. Faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned until he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Paul gives three analogies, three pictures of the faithful one. How to survive and thrive in a VUCA world. How to reproduce in a VUCA world. What does it look like? It looks like a soldier. It looks like an athlete. It looks like a farmer. He gives us very clear insight 
of what it means to be this soldier. This soldier, this soldier is going to be one who shares in suffering. That word suffering, if you go and you look it up in the original language, basically what Paul was saying was, Timothy, the kind of people that you need to reproduce, that you need to be yourself, are people who can do hard stuff. People who can keep going even when things get hard. The kind of work that God is doing us, through us, in us, through the Holy Spirit is the kind of work that produces within us the capacity to be able to handle a heavy load. The Holy Spirit builds within us a tenacity that enables us to keep going when it's hard. Faithful people are people who can keep going when it's hard. I've shared this with you before, one of the most pivotal statements that I ever learned in my leadership journey was this, you will only lead to the level that you can handle pain. Whatever your pain threshold is, that's your leadership level threshold. That's your, that is your capacity to accomplish whatever's in front of you's threshold. How much pain you can handle will determine what you can accomplish. Well, I can see that's really popular. We don't like to talk about pain. We don't like to talk about doing hard stuff. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is your pain threshold? Because whatever your pain threshold is, that's your faith threshold. Whatever your pain threshold is, that's your faith threshold. Because you and I physically and spiritually can't get over the pain. It's the work of God in us that enables us to get through the pain. It's knowing that God is God when I am not. It is knowing that God is not defined by my questions or the world's question because he is truth. And it doesn't change just because something is complex. It doesn't change just because something is hard. He is God. And my faith causes me to keep going forward even when I don't have the answer. My faith causes me to keep going forward even when it hurts. My faith causes me to keep carrying the load even when I know it's beyond my capacity. Be like a soldier who, whose focus is pleasing his commander. See, if you and I are going to make it in a, in a VUCA world, if we're going to reproduce the kind of people in our life that causes us to not feel shame, to have a clear conscience when we come to the end or when things are overwhelmed, then, then we, get, we, we reproduce. We become, therefore, reproduce people who are accustomed to doing hard things, but also people who have singularity of focus, who cannot be distracted. I know my message, I know my purpose, and, and therefore I'm not distracted when things are complicated or difficult or overwhelming. I know what I'm here to do. I know who I am. I know what defines me. I know who I'm trying to please. I'm not trying to please the crowd. I'm not trying to please everybody. 
I'm not trying to please the audience. I'm trying to please my master. My interpretation of scripture, my interpretation of God's word is not one that is, that is put together so that I can make everybody happy. My interpretation of God's word is so that it might be applied to my life so that I make my master happy. So even if I want something or I feel something or I think something or I know something will make everybody else happy, it doesn't matter if God's word creates a boundary in my life. That's the boundary. I kind of cracked this subject last week and I told you we're going we're gonna to talk about it in the future. See, my sexuality isn't designed, it isn't driven, it isn't defined by my desire. My sexuality is not defined by my desire. My sexuality is designed and defined by God's word. It's an animal that does whatever it feels. It's an animal who has no control, who is bound by its passions that just does whatever its passion says. A recreated person in the image of God transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ says, I don't have to follow my passions. I live in my design. Do you understand how this works? Do you get what it means when you and I decide that we have a singularity of focus, which is to please God, not even follow my flesh? I'm not doing or not doing things because somebody else told me, but because I have imprinted on my heart the command of God, which I understand is for my good. Play by the rules. An athlete who wins the prize plays by the rules. Have the character. If you and I are going to live to the end of our life in a VUCA world and be able to hold our head up high and say, I'm not ashamed, you know the one who wins the prize and can actually celebrate it is the one who played by the rules. You want to get my, ma my wife mad? You cheat when you're playing a game. Because it disqualifies everything that you've done. You live your Christian life one way on Sunday morning and another way six days a week. You know what that creates? A shameful relationship with God. You know, want to know why many of us are ashamed in our walk with God? It's because it's one way, one day a week and another way six days a week. And so what does that produce in us? Shame. We read the Bible one way in one circumstance and then we apply it in another way when it feels right to us. It produces shame. So the athlete who can celebrate the winning of the prize plays by the rules. When I strike a business deal, I play by the rules. When I sign a contract, I play by the rules. When I apply for the job, I play by the rules. Well, everybody else does, does it. No one will ever know. But I'm a soldier. I have one master. I know. He knows. Having the discipline to hold yourself accountable in all circumstances, in all situations, produces within us the capacity to live without shame. 
to say to our Timothy, hey, you know what? It may not be what it seems, but I'm not ashamed. And then like a farmer who has the capacity to wait for your season, I want you to stand with me across this place. A lot of us are in, a lot of us are in difficult seasons, challenging seasons. But Paul says this interesting thing. He says, Timothy, the people that, the people I want you to be investing with and in are faithful. And then he defines faithfulness. Faithfulness looks like, it looks like a, a soldier. It looks like a, an athlete, someone who has an ethical system that, that they live by, even when no one else is looking, because they know that there's a judge who's outside of the circumstance who can always see. And even though they may cross the line first and they may cheer and everybody, the crowd cheers for them, they know that they're going to get disqualified by the judge who's omniscient and omnipotent and above and can see it all. They know that. So because of that, they live within the rules. And then, then the farmer, the farmer gets to reap in the right season. Someone who makes it in a VUCA world has the maturity to understand the concept of seasons and understands that there's times when I reap, there's times when I sow, there's times when there's no rain and the ground is hard and dry and bitter and I'm not gonna allow the seasons to define me. I'm gonna plow when it's time to plow, I'm gonna sow when it's time to sow and I'm gonna reap when it's time to reap. I've never known an impatient farmer in my life. 